0: For Jesus. That's what Ash Wednesday is about. A reminder that we are dust in desperate need of the living water to fill us. That we are ashes in desperate need of a resurrection. That's what that's about. So, as we enter in this first Sunday of Lent and this last Sunday of encounter, this story that we're going to look at today. Is something that, that really matches up to guide us into this, to guide us into that. It will make us each face a reminder of our own frailty and our own desperate need, that we are dust in need of the living water to breathe life into us. We're going to look this morning at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is often referred to as the story of the woman at the well. It's probably familiar to you guys. This is a foundational story for us as a church. As a church, we actually walk through this story every semester at, at the story, which is our Bible study. Oh, we like that word apparently, all right, which is our Bible study on Tuesday nights. If you're looking for a way to get connected into the church, that is a fantastic first step, okay, and it helps you see of how, how passionate we are about discipleship and about mission so we'd love for you to come and to be a part of that. Every, every first semester we walk through the book of John together and we talk about this story. This is a foundational story for us as a church. And we felt like it was important as we wrap this series up to finish with this foundational story for us. So let's get ready to dive into this. God help us today. We are well aware of our desperate need for you. But we ask still for the disruption. That you would shake us awake even more to that. We're grateful for the resurrection. But before we get there, help us to realize how desperately we need this in our lives. Help us today as we look at this story. In your name we pray. Amen. The story of the woman at the well. We're going to start here in chapter 4 with uh, verse 4. This is talking about Jesus and his disciples going on a journey together. And as part of that journey, it says here in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Two very key names in the Old Testament history of the Jewish people. Okay, Joseph... And then there's this statement in the parentheses there to close that verse that says, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, this is a a statement that's placed in here to give us some context for the story. But it's almost like this passing statement, right? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. But it's important for us to understand what any original reader of this story would have understood how much pain there is packed into the parentheses right there, the kind of history of division and absolute heated hatred between these two groups of people, between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. There was a deep division that ripped these people apart, okay? And it has to do with their history. As it's already mentioned in here, it mentions Jacob and Joseph, two key figures to the, to the history of the Jewish people. And the thing is, the Samaritans and the Jewish people had that history in common because here's where that division comes from. They actually are descendants of the same people. But somewhere along the line, through the course of the exiles, when Israel had been conquered and, and taken into exile... Some of the Jews stayed completely true and were very focused on staying true to their roots. Others began to to mix in with the culture of their conquerors, okay? And as that happened, they began to adopt some of the practices of of the religion there. They began to adopt some of the other cultural practices. They began to, to marry in with people from that culture, And as a result, years down the road, we have the Samaritan people, and as a result of that, we have this deep, deep division because the Jewish people refused to forgive them for doing that. They felt like they had sold out, and they could not forgive them for doing that. Yet they have this shared history, but at the breakpoint of that history is the breakpoint of their relationship, and they refuse to forgive them that the hatred here was deep it was deep and they felt like they had not just sold out the the people of Israel but they felt like they had sold out God himself and they would not forgive them for that the division was deep was deep in light of this in light of this it's almost impossible for us to overstate what kind of moment this is as Jesus this respected teacher of the Jewish people reaches out to the Samaritan woman. All of the cultural things that are happening in this moment that are colliding together, it will blow our minds if we can catch a glimpse of this. Through that little window given to us there, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. As we look into that, the cultural things that are happening here, it is incredible what Jesus does. This is a story set by a well in ancient Samaria. But as far as we're concerned, we might imagine a lunch counter, Woolworths, Greensboro, North Carolina, 1960. Or we might imagine a bus, Montgomery, Alabama, 1955. The cultural barriers that are being broken in this moment. It is incredible. We cannot just pass by this and assume we kind of get what's going on. We've got to dig into the depth of this. What Jesus is doing is scandalous. In many people's eyes, it would have been sacrilegious, the barriers that he is crossing, the lines that he is crossing in this. The barriers were clear and plain, and Jesus busts right through them. Why would he do this? Because that's what love does. That's what love does. Love has the courage to cross every line drawn by hate and climb every wall built by fear. It will not be held back. You draw the lines and it will cross right through it. You build the walls, it will blow right through it. Love has that courage. It will not be held back. And Jesus demonstrates this, demonstrates the heart of God in this moment, reaching across all of these barriers. This is what he continually does all throughout Scripture. It's what he does with us in reaching out to us. Every one of these encounter stories and every one of the encounter stories we have sitting out here today, every one of them involve God taking the initiative to cross lines he never should have crossed, to reach people who really should not have even been reached. But that's what he does, because that's what love does, and that's who he is. That is the story of God. As we move on here, in uh, in, uh, verses 10 through 14, we have this discussion that starts, sparked by her question, How can you do this, since you are a Jew and, and I am a Samaritan? So here's what Jesus says to her in response. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Now, see, when Jesus says this phrase, living water, immediately we're thinking like very spiritual living water. In this day and time, that term would have meant any kind of flowing type of water, any kind of moving water, non-stagnant water. So Jesus is saying that about the spiritual idea of this living water, but to her it just still sounds like a normal conversation that is happening, okay? So you have nothing to draw with. Where will you get it from? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the water from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And here comes the turn as he says that to her and begins to help her understand the depth of what it is he is offering and what it is he is talking about. Now, when we see him talking about water then immediately what comes to mind are are all of these times that water shows up in Scripture. It's a powerful symbol all the way through Scripture. Uh, In fact, let's take a moment, and I'm going to indulge my inner nerd right now, okay, which is often very much outer nerd as well. Um, But let's take a moment, and um, I just saw the shadow of myself in that. (laughs) Wow. All right. (laughs) Let's take a moment and um, look at some of these places where water shows up through Scripture, Right, right? We're talking about Old Testament all the way through New Testament, all right? The whole thing is open. What are some times when you see that happening? Just throw them out there. Water into wine. Cool. What else? Flood. Okay, the water and the blood. Uh, there was reference in that in the song that we sang as pointing to Jesus' death on the cross when he's pierced inside, water and blood both flow out of his side in that moment. What else? Say what? Oh, uh, great, exactly. The Red Sea when it's divided. That's great. I heard something else down here. Isaiah, Somewhere in there. Isaiah. all right, awesome, <laughs> Sweet. Isaiah is crazy about water, all right? It's all over the place. It's great. It's great. Yeah, the river. Baptism. Awesome. Jordan River. Baptism. Jordan River has both it has the the when people are being baptized in in the Jordan, but also when Israel crosses into the promised land, God repeats somewhat the Red Sea miracle by crossing the Jordan. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. The fishermen, all right, that Jesus calls to be his disciples, and he says, you will be fishers of men, all right? That's great. So fishing is all the way through that. What? Jesus walked on the water. Oh, awesome. Walking on water. What else? Throw it out there. Awesome. Washed his disciples' feet. Great. What else? Noah's Ark. Yeah, we got flood right there. That's great. That's awesome. Isn't there a river that runs through in Revelation? Awesome, yes. The river in Revelation that runs from the throne and through through the new city. Which is cool because there's not a river that flows through Jerusalem, but it says in Revelation in the new Jerusalem there will be, and it represents the presence of the Spirit of God. What else? Anything else that comes to mind? Creation, awesome, all over the place in creation. What else? So, Jonah, good one. John the Baptist, awesome. Yeah, good one. When he soaks the altar, that's great. Moses and the rock. Oh, the pool. All right. Cool. Awesome. Yes. Cool. All right, good. Jonah. Yeah, we got it. Awesome. Sweet. <laughs> Great. Cool. So, guys, check this out. All right, look, this is just in a few minutes of just throwing stuff out there, right? And look how much uh, just symbolism you see from water in Scripture. All throughout Scripture, it's this constant symbol, right? It's, this, it's always there. And we understand the importance of it because of how many times it's repeated, how, how often it's used as a symbol. But watch this. All of those, just in the book of John. All of these references right here show up in the book of John. So if, if we're throwing these out on here and we see how, how, what a powerful symbol it is through Scripture, now look and take a realization of how much of an incredible symbol this is in the book of John. John layers water symbolism over and over and over again. Look at how frequently it shows up. These are the things that come just immediately to mind. And how many of these, more than half of these, or probably somewhere around there, right, that are, that are in the book of John, just in the book of John. Incredible, incredible. All right, in chapter 1, we meet John the Baptist which makes it up there. In chapter 2 in the book of John, we have Jesus turning water into wine. In chapter 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, and he says to Nicodemus, you must be born of water and of the Spirit, right? In chapter 4, we have the woman at the well. In chapter 5, we have the healing by the pool. In chapter 6, we have Jesus walking on water. In chapter 7, we have this reference to Isaiah where Jesus talks about, stands in the temple and talks about the, 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 the living water that will flow and come to me, all who are thirsty. Incredible, incredible. Over and over again, John is layering how important water is in this book. So when Jesus begins to speak to her about this gift of water, we lean in because something important is happening. John is trying to tell us something here. It's a vital symbol. Why is it such an important symbol? Because it's so important to our daily lives. Think about the context in which this story happens. Think about the geography of it. Think about the time of it. And even in our day, the same things are true. How vital water is to our lives. For cleansing, obviously, we need that, right? Important role that water plays there. Also for drinking. The fact that water is such a source of life for us. Do do you know how long you can go without food? A week. What else? A month. All right. Almost 40 days. You can go almost 40 days without food. How long can you go without water? Three Three days. Three days. Water is so essential to life. You can go more than a month without food. You can barely make it out of the weekend without water. essential to life. And this is what is being hammered away at here in the book of John, and especially in this story and what Jesus is offering to her. And he says to her, I will wash you clean. No matter what it is, no matter what your past is, no matter what you are bringing, every one of us is caked in dust. But I will pour my spirit over you. I will wash you clean until you are standing in a puddle of grace and transformation. We are all dust and ashes that need to be filled with life of the living water. We are desperate for it. And this is what Jesus is offering to her. And this is what Jesus is offering to us. A fresh life. A fresh life source of real life. Jesus goes on here. It's incredible because she hears this great news and she says, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water. And so then Jesus says to her, Okay, I will hereby impart upon you... No, uh-uh, no. He says something different instead. He says to her, First, go and get your husband. Now at this We start to scratch our heads, but she, for her, her heart dropped when she heard this. And she answers back to him, well, actually, sir, I I have no husband. And he says, what you have just said is quite true. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not even your husband. There's a footnote here in my scripture. When you look down at the bottom and you read, it says, hashtag, oh, snap. (laughs) (laughs) The message version. All right. (laughs) Right. We we hear this and we're like, oh, man, Jesus just put her sin right in her face face right she's like yeah i want this living water and he's like oh yeah well let's talk about your husband's situation real quick right and it's like oh man this is crazy and so jesus just puts it right in her face and he's like you have been this promiscuous woman you're jumping from one man to the next you can't even stay with a man you you get tired of one man and you're hopping to the next man you're from one bed to the next right isn't this what jesus is saying to her Is this what Jesus is saying to her? What do we know about women? Guys, not much. What do we know about women in this time and in this place? Take yourself out of our normal context when we're just reading this, sitting where we're at. Put yourself in this time and in this place of where this event is happening. What were the rights of women in this day? None. None. What were the rights of men in this day? Everything. That's right, Chris. Everything. A man could divorce his wife for any reason that he wanted to cook up, and she had zero say in it. What we have here is we have to understand the culture of what's happening. What we have here is probably not a promiscuous woman, which is what everybody normally says, right? Get your sin together and quit sleeping around or, you know, and then you can have the living water. That's what we want to say this story is about. But as we look into the background of it and the culture of it, what we begin to realize is what we have here is not just one woman who's jumping from one man to the next. But a woman who has trusted someone, someone who's going to be the source of her protection in the world at this day and time, someone who's going to be the one who will be able to provide for her in this day of time, trusting herself to this person, and time and time again that trust is broken. And she is abandoned by the one person in the world that she trusted the most. That's what we're probably dealing with Here. And so we think she's trying to hide it so Jesus doesn't know about her sin. Does she have sin in her life? Absolutely, without a doubt. And so do you, and so do I. And Jesus calls us out on that, okay? But what Jesus is talking about here is something deeper than that. She is saying, if you really knew who I am, then there's no way this offer of the living water would be good. Like, she's so excited about the offer of the living water, and then Jesus drops this question, and she starts backpedaling, and she starts trying to cover it up. Because she thinks, man, if he finds this out, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. And in her mind, she's saying, if you knew who it is you're talking to, but which is funny, because that's what Jesus already said to her, right? Jesus says, no, no, no. If you knew who it is you are talking to, then you would understand I already know everything. I know every broken heart. I know everything you've done. I know everything that has been done to you. And yes, this offer is still good for you. I know exactly who I'm talking to, I know everything every reason why you think I should not be having this conversation with you right now, I already know it, and here I am, and I'm extending this invitation to you. That's what Jesus is saying to her, and that's what Jesus is saying to you. All those reasons that are popping up in your mind, that you're cooking up all the things that you're digging back up of the reasons why God's grace can't help you, Jesus says, I already know that, and I've already defeated that. This offer is for you. Transformation, grace. I love her response here. It says in verse 28, leaving her water jar behind leaving her water jar behind. When she goes on, she embraces this, what Jesus is talking about. She believes, and she begins to move into a brand new life. This is beautiful. This is at the heart of what Lent is. There's this calling and there's this invitation that is repeated throughout Lent that Christians say to each other, and it's this phrase, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. This water jar left sitting here by the well is a beautiful symbol of repenting and believing. And Jesus is inviting you to do the same thing. Turn from the life you were living and believe in the life I want to live through you. Believe in the life I am offering to you. Believe in the life I am giving to you that I want to see well up in you like a spring of living water, giving way to eternal life. This is the offer, and it's for you. It's for you. What happens next as the story goes on, it says that she goes and and she tells the people, come and see the person who has told me everything I've ever done, which isn't true, right? But he hits at the heart, and then the rest of it just comes together, right? He knows everything, Come and see him. And there are people in that crowd that's like, "Uh, no thanks. (laughs) I'll be going the other way then, right? But for the most part, the crowd, it says, come to him. In one version of scripture, in one translation, it says that the crowd came streaming out of the city to Jesus. What beautiful water imagery happening there, streaming towards the living water, the one who can wash us clean and give us this new life. An incredible thing happens. They ask Jesus to stay, and it says that all of them begin to believe, not just because of what they've seen in her, although that was the spark. That was why they believed in the beginning. But then they hear Jesus' words for themselves, and they believe. Interesting thing that's mentioned there, it never talks about Jesus performing miracles in that community, and yet all of the people believed. Often through the Gospels, we'll see Jesus performing a miracle, and then belief happens because of what people see. But here, it doesn't say that. What is the catalyst for their belief? It is his transformational words, but also her transformed life. One of the most convincing and compelling miracles anyone will ever see is your transformed life. If you have been brought from death into life in Jesus Christ, then you are a walking miracle. You are a walking healing You are a resurrection raised from the ashes into life. All of us in our encounter stories, when we embrace what Jesus is offering to us, the next thing that should happen is this ripple effect of redemption around us. People see it in our lives and they respond to the reality of it. A ripple effect of redemption and we are invited to be a part of this rising tide of grace giving away what has been given to us my prayer for us as a church from the first day we started this series and now as we end this series is that all of us as we have encountered jesus it will start a chain reaction of other encounter stories which will lead to more encounter stories which will lead to more encounter stories and my prayer for us is that we will have the same response of this woman and we will go out so quick to tell people about what has happened in our lives and that people will see the authentic truth of it and they will be transformed as well as you leave today you're going to be given one of these again we handed these out in the first day of this series these are just simple photo sleeves right And each person is going to get one. And we're going to ask you to continue to pray for encounter stories. Imagine the picture of a friend or the picture of a family member that you want to place in this photo sleeve. A picture of encounter. An image of encounter. A transformed life. Ripple effect of redemption in the world around us. And I pray that we're going to be able to fill up a whole photo album with new family members because of what is happening. It's already happening. It's already happening all around you. But Jesus is inviting us to be a part of it, to be a part of the rising tide of grace as we experience the living water washed clean, new life welling up in us because of what he's done for us. God, thank you for encountering us. And we cannot get away from the truth that as we look at our lives, we know that we did not find you. You found us. And we talk about that to to illustrate a change in our lives. We say we found God. That's what's different. No, God found you. God found you. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for stirring in us this calling to repent and to believe that this moment of encounter sparks transformation in our lives, that we are changed and we begin to live out of that change. We live into and out of the grace that you have poured out on us. We thank you and we pray that you would continue to do that in our lives. Make us clean and fill us up with the life of the living water. We are ashes and we are dust, but in you we are alive and we are resurrection. In your name we pray, amen.